Transperfect and A to Z Productions, this is Next. I'm Zelina Khan, your host. Support for this podcast comes from Transperfect, a family of companies providing language services and technology solutions for global businesses. Connect your brand to the world and visit transperfect.com. Here we are with season three with a brand new set of guests to give you insight on something we think everyone can use some help on, and that's wellness in the workplace. Hopefully these discussions will help make you a better leader, a better employee, and all around a better person. Today we are talking to Amber Crow, talent management specialist here at TransPerfect and founder of the Queer Career blog. Amber gives tips to those in the LGBTQIA community on being their authentic selves in the workplace. As a queer person, Amber does an incredible job relating to her audience and educates people on how to handle difficult conversations, show support, and how to be an ally to their peers. Make sure you stay tuned to hear about how you can win a 30-minute coaching session with Amber. Hi, Amber. Welcome to the show. I'm so happy to have you on this podcast. I think we've been talking about it for a while, so it's great that we're actually making it happen. Yeah, definitely. I'm so excited to be here. As you know, this season is all about wellness in the workplace. And even though we're not in school, more and more in society, we're all trying to be, you know, students of life and constantly, you know, just learning in this ever-changing space that we're in, in our personal lives, as well as in work. And I think with work, you know, the lines are just more and more blurred with like our work identity and our personal identity. And I notice with people around me and, you know, I identify with this as well, that I really just want to bring my authentic self to work. I feel like I perform better. You know, I think it's just overall good for company morale, profits, things like that. And I mean, we can get into more of that later, but I think in the eyes of some, bringing your whole self to work can be offensive and not seen as professional. And I would say I've noticed this, especially, you know, in the LGBTQA space. Today on this episode of Next the Podcast, today we have Amber Crow, talent management specialist at TransPerfect and founder of the Queer Career Blog, uh, joining us to talk about queer professionalism. As much as I'm excited to talk to you, I'm equally excited to learn from you. Amber, can you tell the listeners uh, a little bit about who you are, what you do, things like that? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I I will certainly jump into that. And let me just say that I'm also excited to learn from you and to hear about, you know, your experiences. And I think this is going to be a a great conversation between the two of us. So yes, I am the Queer Career Coach at the Queer Career Blog. I work with professionals who identify as LGBTQ+. I typically generalize by saying queer. That is a term that for some people, they love it. For some people, they don't. So, but I, I focus on doing like resume critiques, resume rewrites, LinkedIn rewrites or reviews. Most of the, most of the work that I do is pro bono, or I ask people to donate to queer organizations. You know, I, I think the work that I do is very specialized, but it's also, there's nothing out there that I've found that's similar. A lot of other coaches tend to be more generic in the work that they do. And and I think sometimes takes away from the nuances of, of bringing your whole self to work. And, you know, I think I, I agree with you, Zelina, that if we 
all could bring our whole selves to work. It would be a much more interesting world that we live in. Yes, for sure. So I think before we jump into the meat of this conversation, we should talk about the word professionalism. So I went ahead and looked it up on the dictionary. Merriam-Webster defines professionalism as the conduct, aims, or qualities that characterize or mark a profession or a professional person. And it defines a profession as calling as a calling requiring specialized knowledge and often long and intensive academic preparation. I want to shift that over to you, Amber, and um, maybe let's just start with unpacking the term and, you know, all the all the heat and uh, I would say uh, the background of, of that word. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And this is something I really enjoy talking about. I think the term professionalism, it's something that is fed to us from a very young age in terms of, okay, you're going to go start job searching, you need to be professional, you need to wear a suit, you need to have your hair a certain way. I remember our, I distinctly remember this because it was so traumatizing at the time. When I was a senior in high school, we had a like career day, a mock interview day, where we interviewed with local business owners. And this woman told me that my eyeshadow was too sparkly and it was so distracting, she couldn't hear anything I was saying. And I, held on to that for so long because to me i was at that age where i didn't know what the other side of high school was going to look like and i didn't know what getting a job was going to look like i had a part-time job but my dad got it for me so i never had to you know interview and so we're introduced to this concept so young and we're we're given these handouts that say make sure your hair is combed make sure this is done make sure you you know, you don't wear perfume because people may find it offensive, like all of these little pieces. And that's not even getting into you being able to do the job in the first place. And you're already auditioning, you know, before you basically as soon as you get up in the morning and you're putting yourself together for the interview. And I think, you know, to unpack professionalism is to unpack the Eurocentric concept of professionalism. You know, a lot of the ways that we see being a professional or dressing professionally, they're in many ways white Western styles. So straightened hair, wearing a suit as opposed to wearing a sari. You know, some companies have bans on headwear that you can that you can wear. We ask people to, you know, sound American when they're conducting client calls or when they're, you know, if someone's interviewing and they don't sound American enough for some companies, that's that's a, a discount. And, you know, we also see a lot more scrutiny of not just people of color in the workplace, but also, you know, all of these other identities, your your religious beliefs. What we're talking about today is, is queer professionalism. So a lot of the work that I do with clients is unpacking them having to hide their identity at work and them feeling like, when do I come out in the interview process? Do I come out in the interview process? Do I come out on my first day? What if I have questions about healthcare for my wife? What if I have questions about healthcare for my non-binary partner? There are so many pieces of professionalism that are at direct opposition with parts of a queer identity. And so that is really the work that I do is in dismantling that, helping companies to improve their policies and just their perception in general of queer employees, creating safer spaces, and then working with the employees themselves to to kind of unpack and dismantle that, that professionalism concept. I, I think it's so funny because the term 
professional or professionalism, right? It sounds like it's so neutral, right? It just, mm-hmm. it sounds so neutral. And it's funny you mentioned that story about high school, because I remember in college and undergrad, you know, having friends that had dreadlocks and longer hair and they're like, okay, well now it's time to interview. So I have to cut my hair now. Right. Like how unfortunate that, um, you, you have to get rid of something that's so, so much a part of you in order to feel like you have to be accepted as a queer professional. Can you talk about some of the issues that arise in the workplace? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I mean, let's start with the interview process because we're already talking about it. In the interview process, you are already on edge because you're trying to get a job that you want. You are trying to articulate your skill set, but you're also trying to find out, is this place going to be safe for me? You know, will I have benefits that cover my partner? Will I have, will I be able to use my pronouns in this space? So for many queer people, that's added pressure on top of what is already an extremely stressful situation. So I think, you know, that's that's one of the issues that I see arise a lot is people are like, do I bring this up? Can I bring this up? You know, and I and I I have also been in that space. I, I used to work for a, a Catholic institution. And so for me, it was can I I know you're looking at me and you're like, what? But I went to Catholic school my whole life. Yeah. Wow. yeah. But unfortunately, you know, in some instances, I wasn't allowed to bring my partner at the time to events, or I wasn't welcome to talk about that with students. And so I wasn't able to fully show up because a part of me wasn't being recognized. And, you know, a part of my human experience wasn't being recognized. So that, you know, that that's kind of the interview process. But we also see issues with bringing your whole self to work. So when I, you know, when I come to the office, or when I come to the office, or when I'm showing up to a meeting or I'm showing up to the to talk with a client or a candidate, I'm always asking myself, you know, is this person going to feel comfortable speaking with me if I if I bring my whole self to the table? There are a lot of pieces of a queer identity and, and a lot of them fall in expression. So it's not just the sexuality aspect, but it's also gender identity and gender expression. To share an example, I have a friend who works at an art institution and they are able to, you know, kind of dress in drag every day and wear these like crazy, colorful, awesome outfits. And I think they would be so perfect, you know, working in a, in a role similar to mine. And yet I don't know how to approach them because I don't want to ask them to change how they dress every day. I don't want to ask them, you know, be any less themselves, but I wonder how mm-hmm. that would be perceived for them in an interview or, or working here. And, and and it's unfortunate because that person would feel like they have to choose mm-hmm. my, you know, my identity where I feel like I'm being my full self mm-hmm. versus uh, maybe me, you know, muddling who I am so I can help other people in a similar role that like yours. So it's, it's such yeah, a double-edged sword. Yeah. And I think that's why a lot of the people that I work with actively choose to work for queer organizations as opposed to corporations or, you know, other types of institutions because they feel like they can be more themselves and they they feel like at least my pronouns will be correct here. Even if I don't love the work that I'm doing, even if, you know, I, I'm not in a position that matches my career path, at least I can be myself when I walk through the door. Mm-hmm. And that shouldn't be something that people worry about. 
you brought it up, um, pronouns, mm-hmm. right? And um, I'm seeing it. I see that more of like a lower hanging fruit, like something that could be executed sooner than later within corporate corporations. I'm noticing a lot of, you know, we do it here at Transperfect and I see clients and partners doing it more and more, you know, just having that on the bottom. And it's also good too, if you have like a name that's a bit different, it it helps uh, Mm -hmm. someone identify you. Can we, can we talk a little bit about pronouns, how that's been, I think really problematic, but yet something that could really help. Cause I feel like people are still trying to, I, I think it's still a space like I myself am trying to navigate it still. And the, like the whole concept of pronouns and how can we do better? How can people, how can allies do better? Yeah. And I think in a lot of ways, the way I like to think of pronouns and, and why they're important is they're a substitution for your name and they're a substitution for your identity. So if I were to walk in the office and go up to you and say, Hey, Fred, how's it going? You'd be like, I'm not what that's like, you know, me, we know each other. So I find it very interesting that a lot of people struggle so much with getting pronouns correct or, or honoring pronouns or even stressing about the grammar of, you know, non-binary pronouns, like they and them. People are so much more stressed about grammar than I have ever seen them anywhere else. I mean, like you, <laughs> we have people who write RFPs or write technical coding and, and make mistakes all the time, but you can't, you can't make one grammar mm-hmm exception for for a colleague who you care about. So I I think there's there needs to be an attitude shift around it and about the importance of of pronouns. We need to talk about why it's important to refer to people they want to be the way they want to be referred. You know, we would never take a candidate who's like, oh, actually, I go by Doug instead of Douglas and be like, okay, Sam, because that's not how he identifies. And so I think it's important to, you know, understand why referring to people the way they want to be is is extremely important. And then I think you need training around it. And I think that's really hard because you're putting your employees who do use different pronouns or who maybe have transitioned pronouns during their time at the organization in the position of having to educate their peers. So I'm I'm so thankful that we're doing a company-wide pronoun training and that we're working very closely with HR to to get that out to everyone because it shouldn't, the burden shouldn't be on queer people to educate you about exactly why our pronouns are correct or, or what that means or how to use they, them in other circumstances. Exactly. I think you're comfortable talking about it and you are sharing your knowledge and you're helping others, but I don't think it's fair to assume that everyone wants to educate. Everyone wants to talk mm-hmm. about it, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a big drive behind why I talk about these things is because not everyone has the courage to like I, I've had colleagues who or they just don't want to be bothered. Right, right. Right. But I've had colleagues who, you know, started using other pronouns. And then as soon as people were asking them questions about it, they were like, no, never mind. Just just use she her. I'd rather not talk about it because it's exhausting to have to. Constantly justify how people refer to you. So me, who I think I'm always trying to learn and like I said, be an active ally. What if you have two options? Yeah, so I go by two options. I have she, they in my my name right now okay. while we're on this call. Um, and for me, I do that because I don't 
really have a preference in how you refer to me. For me, both feel equally good. And I think if someone is giving you two options, they probably likely feel okay with both. You could always ask someone, you know, what what pronouns mm-hmm. should I use when referring to you? But I think it's it's also it's important to realize that some people may have both because they don't feel comfortable being their whole self. Got it. And I also want to stress the importance of not saying preferred pronouns because a, a pronoun is not a preference. It's how you identify. Um, and that's something that I see a lot. Mm-hmm. People are trying to be more educated and there's always that next level you can get to, right? We got people saying prefer, preferred pronouns. And so excellent, great, good work. Now we have to take that a step further. Well, what would be the right way to ask? Yeah. What's the right way to ask? I would just say, what pronouns should I use to refer to you? Or what are your pronouns? Got it. Nice. Yeah. I mean, straightforward, I think is, is mm-hmm. always best. You know, I feel much more uncomfortable when you beat around the bush and you're like, so you, um, I saw that, um, you like that now I'm in this position and you're like, and I just don't know what, what one to use. You know, it's, it's like when you make a mistake and you make it more about yourself than, than the other person. Mm-hmm. That's uh, I think that's a, a good uh, word. Uncomfortable. In 2020, 2021, we're all finding moments of uh, discomfort and you just got to lean in, lean into it, run to it. So I want to shift back to the term unprofessional. I think we scratched the surface on what it means to a number of groups and how the word has, you know, been hurtful or damaging at times. So I want to maybe, it would be great for you to discuss ways that being queer has been seen as unprofessional? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. I think to dive into that kind of head first, the number one way that I see this happen is with gay, lesbian, and bisexual folks as part of the queer spectrum. When I tell you that I am a lesbian, I am openly telling you who I sleep with and who I, you know, who I'm married to and and how I spend my free time. And I think that is something that we don't necessarily realize about a queer identity is that it's viewed as inherently sexual and it's fetishized and it's put into even pop culture and, and our representation is so it's put in the spotlight yeah right yeah it's it's a big spotlight saying this is who i am and this is what i do when i'm not in the office and mm-hmm, so i think that's mm-hmm. one large way you also have people acting outside of their quote-unquote gender roles so you have um potentially more effeminate men or, or butch women who, you know, maybe behave in a way that's, that's different than what you're comfortable with or or what you're used to in the workplace. You know, there's this idea of if a trans person is, is out in the workplace, they're shoving their gender in your face. They're, you know, they're telling you more about them than you've asked just by existing. And so, you know, I think that that's, that's one area. And then you also have the idea that, if if I'm sharing my personal life with a client for whatever reason, if they ask about, you know, my husband or do I have kids or things like that, which I mean, maybe we should get into the larger topic of that shouldn't be a part of a work call, but it comes up, you know, people want to know who they're buying from. People want to know who they're working with. And so now I have to out myself to everyone that I meet if I'm asked certain questions. And I think what people don't realize is that coming out is not a moment, it's a part of your lifetime from then on. Because every Mm -hmm. time you meet a new person, you have to come out to them, if you so choose. And 
no one will make an assumption about you because the assumption is that you would be straight. And so every time you're disclosing your queer identity, you're coming out in some way. And that I think people don't don't realize it's it's not this one moment and we throw confetti and your parents are happy and they love you. And, you know, and then you walk out the door and you're like, I'm gay now and everyone knows it. For many people, it's a process. You know, I I was dating women before I, I came out and I was dating I was dating people and not telling my parents the whole truth. And and it's you know, there there's so much so much to unpack there in terms of just like the coming out process, but that can be seen as unprofessional. I'm asking someone mm-hmm. to use your correct pronouns. If you're in a business meeting and you know, let's say, you know, I'm meeting with a C suite person and and they use the wrong pronouns, how how am I an entry level employee in this situation supposed to feel comfortable correcting that without it being more embarrassing for me. You bring up a great topic. As an entry-level employee, if you feel like your company or your manager or your colleagues are not supporting you, you do not have the luxury or the privilege to just get up and quit your job. What's your Mm -hmm. advice for what that person can do? Yeah. I think that's that's a very real moment that my a lot of my clients have to have is I'm not happy where I am and it's because I can't be my whole self. Or if you work in a very specialized field, so take for example eDiscovery, which is one of the you know great services that we offer, but the field is very small. Everyone knows everyone, and so if you're going to leave one company, you better you know be pretty sure that there's an opening at another. It's it's very much a place of privilege to say, well, why don't you just leave? Why don't you just walk away? And so my recommendation would be to advocate for yourself in those spaces. Find allies. There there are allies everywhere. My my partner, when they started their new job, had to sit down and, and tell their colleagues, like, it is transphobic that you are not using the correct pronouns. And they were like, we didn't even know, like, we didn't, we didn't even mm-hmm. know that's how you identified. So I think finding those allies and being open about your identity. And the good news is that recent legislation passed that makes it safe to be out at work. And that wasn't always the case. Up until 2020, it was legal to be fired for being gay in 17 states and 26 straight states for being trans. Wow. So your partner, you mentioned at their new job, how did they like communicate that? Like, was that a lot? What was, was the pronoun in the signature and, and the colleagues were just ignoring it? Yeah. So their, their pronoun was in their signature, but also they had to use their dead name to apply to the job. And so when they got there and they wanted everything changed to their name, well, their email was already set with another name and you know, all of their login information was set and, you know, they would ask, can this be updated? And they're like, oh yeah, no problem. But then it would be months before someone said anything about it. And they're like, no, this needs to be done today because I can't reach out to clients and not have them know my name. I can't, you know, I can't do anything because I'm frozen in this space of not being recognized. You said, okay, so dead name, meaning the legal. The name that you had been given at, at birth um, and not the preferred yeah. name or not like the new name yeah what's the what's the correct term I would just say name yeah their the their name. name you know my partner 
they have a name and it's not the name that they grew up with. It's not the name that their parents gave them, but it's still their name and it's how we refer to them. And the company took a long time to change it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it it took, you know, weeks for someone from HR to get back to them about what next steps would be. IT wasn't taking it seriously because it wasn't an urgent ticket. And so it took them saying to their manager, this is transphobic and I feel disrespected here. And then their manager was able to advocate for them, fortunately, and... and So draining. That's so draining. Yeah. Sometimes you have to advocate for yourself, finding allies. What do you... What are other suggestions you have maybe as, um, you know, not only if you're a junior person, but if you're just a queer person in a company, what what are some of the things that you suggest? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, You know, I think if you're a queer person and you hold a position of power and it is safe for you to do so, you should be out at work. So we are very fortunate to have a C-suite person who's very open about his identity. And that for me sets an example because now I know, okay, I can come out and it creates a ripple effect. So I would say if you feel comfortable being yourself, be out, be proud about it and set that example for other people. And then I would also say, you know, as you're going through an interview process, so maybe like before you even find the job, check what their rating is on, you know, the the HRC page. They rank all of the the companies um, that submit to them on on how inclusive they are for the queer community. And, you know, you, you also want to kind of feel out the culture and feel out, are you going to be safe during the interview process? So yeah. Amber, when you were looking for a new company and before you came to Transperfect, were you looking for, you know, affinity groups, senior executives that were queer? Like what were some of the things that you you look for? Yeah, definitely. That's that's certainly something that is a big part of my process, you know, whenever I'm I'm job searching. Hopefully that'll be never again now that I'm at Transperfect, but it's definitely a you know, a big part especially helping my partner find a job during uh, during the pandemic, there's a lot of questions you have to ask yourself being a queer person. And so for me, it was great to see the affinity groups that Transperfect has. During my first conversation, I was able to speak with my manager, Raina, about the expansion that was happening at the time where they were building up Strive, which is our people of color initiative. I just thought that was fantastic. And so being able to see that a company invests itself in diversity and inclusion, that that is you know, listed as a core value of Transperfect is so important to see that representation. And, you know, I didn't know our C-suite. I'm not at a high enough level where that's someone that I'm researching, but being here, I mean, it's great to have that that representation. But I, you know, I think we do have to think a lot about what what images do companies put out and do they have this information publicly available? And, you know, I think asking about affinity groups, speaking with team members and, and speaking with, you know, other members of the company, if you know other people that that work here that are queer, ask them about that, you know, ask them about their experience. But, you know, it should be it should be more comprehensive and it should be something that, you know, HR talks about and it should be something that's a part of the onboarding process. It shouldn't just be a mention of, oh, we have this affinity group, but, you know, a, a statement, an affirmation that that you're going to be safe here. One way we do that is through our EEO policy, which I think is great. It's posted on all of the job descriptions and, you know, it's a great point of reference. But I also like to include when I'm recruiting people, you know, asking what their pronouns are very early on in the process. So we don't 
run into issues of how to refer to them later on. You know, and, and here I am saying issue, but you know, in reality, I'm, I'm confirming their identity. For an active job searcher, how can they uh, potentially bring it up in the interview process? Mm. Yeah, that's a, a great question. I like to ask during the interview process, what are your diversity and inclusion initiatives? Which of those initiatives or what projects are you currently working on that center the LGBTQ plus community? I like to ask about like, are there, is it a diverse team and in what ways is it diverse? You know, a, a lot of times you'll get back from a company like, oh yeah, it's diverse. And it, you know, there's two people of color on the team out of 30 or 40. When people are in spaces of privilege, it tends to be easier to see diversity where it doesn't actually exist. You know, for me, those are those are some of the big questions that I ask. Um, I also work and was intentionally looking for diversity and inclusion type roles. For me, like that's that's a big one that, you know, that's something I should be asking about. But for other people, you know, I would ask about the diversity on the team. What does that diversity look like? Are there LGBTQ initiatives in place? Is there an affinity group? Even just asking, like, can I know more about the diversity and inclusion initiatives in general can give you some insight because what people say is just as important as what they leave out. Oh, snaps to that one. <laughs> and I think to go back to what I what I was just saying is is, you know, what they tell you is, is is as important as what they don't tell you, but also who is at the table in your interview is as important as who is not at the table. So for me, something that really confirmed the investment in diversity and inclusion is that I went through my interview process here and Zelina, you were a part of that panel. There was only one white woman on that panel. Everyone else was a person of color. And so for me, I was like, oh, their money is where their mouth is. Like that is a visible takeaway. So for companies that are listening, just as complicated as the word professionalism is, it's systemic change is not an overnight thing. Mm -hmm. Is it possible for us to start with some transitions or things companies can do Yeah, on a smaller scale and then to a larger scale? Yeah, definitely. The first thing I would say is like, take the signs off your bathrooms and put up gender neutral ones. Like, your employees should not have to worry about where they're going to pee at work. That should never be any employee's worry. And that's something that you can do for, I don't know, what are those signs? $10 at, at Staples? You know, like that's that's something or print something if you can't spend the $10. But, you know, there, there are so many things. You can support queer organizations as a company. So TransPerfect does AIDS Walk New York every year. And, and, you know, we raise a good amount of money for that. Care about your rating on the Human Rights Campaign website and invest more into what they say you are lacking. Listen to those results. That may be more systemic, but create mandatory trainings around queer topics. And I say mandatory because as soon as you make something optional, people who need that training will not sign up for it. It's always going to be your same few advocates showing up day after day to do that training, but it's not going to be the people that really need it. And so that has to come from the company taking a stand on diversity, offering healthcare that's trans inclusive. I mean, that's something that, you know, your HR could take care of by calling the health plan and saying, we want this and getting it added on, you know, avoiding gendered policies like dress codes or, you know, not not letting people bring their whole self to work because of arbitrary rules that you have. Those are some really you know, easy, quick steps that, that companies could take. And then obviously, you know, around the larger systemic issues, 
educating yourself, educating your your team and and your you know your staff, educating HR and handling sensitive issues. You know, educating IT on on handling those same issues because for every process that's in HR, you have someone at help desk, you know that that has to reflect that change. And so those people need to be trained on how to be inclusive. You need to have bias training for managers. You know, there there are so many ways to push push change forward. And obviously they are they are systemic. There are systemic larger issues that need to take place. But I think things like passing legislation um, has been helpful and the repealing of, of certain other lo- uh, legislation has been helpful. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there are ways to do many little things that lead to big things. Yeah, for sure. If you just want to be a better ally, right? You know, mm-hmm. you have friends at work or as a manager, you, you yeah. have direct reports and you, you're just not sure. Like, what can you do maybe on a team level or a department level? Yeah, I think that's such a great question. And, you know, when we think about like, well, how can I as an everyday employee solve this problem? Or how can I as a manager, I'm a manager, but I don't really have power within the organization. You know, I only manage X amount of people. Even if you have no power, you have a voice and you can use that voice to advocate for others and talk to your manager or talk to your colleagues and you know work within your team to dismantle these structures. And I think the sooner people realize that what they say and, and the example they set matters, the easier it is to make that change. If I am the only person speaking up about an issue on our team, some people may hear me, but in the larger scale of things, it, it's harder to be held, heard if you're the only person. But if I can take that to my supervisor and she can take that to her supervisor and her supervisor reports directly into the CEO, that means that my my issues or my what I'm facing is much more likely to be heard. So I would say to everyone that's listening to this, you know, regardless of what position you're in, use your voice like you have it for a reason. And it's not just to answer client calls or to um you know, give, give instructions. It is to ensure the safety and the the health and the identity of your employees on a daily basis. And that's, that's everyone's role at a company. Silence is compliance, I think, you know. Amber, you, I've learned so much from you. This talk was amazing. It was super beneficial to me. And if you're still listening, I hope it was very beneficial to you too. Amber, if anyone wants to learn more about you, learn more about the Queer Career Blog and you as the Queer Career Coach, um, where can they go? Yeah, they can go to thequeercareerblog.com. Um, I was fortunate enough to get the domain that I wanted when creating my website. And um, they can also connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, I do a lot of sharing there about diversity and inclusion initiatives and um, what other companies are doing. And, um, you know, I, I just really have a passion for this area. So I'm happy to speak to anyone who, who just wants to learn more. I think, you know, education is the best thing that we can do, create more allyship. Stick around a little bit. We have a really great offer from Amber, which I think could benefit so many people. And Amber, thank you so much for all the work you're doing in the DNI space and the LGBTQIA plus space. You know, we need more soldiers like you. So uh, thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thank you for having me. And I'm happy to do that work for such an amazing company. 
Being an ally to the LGBTQIA community is an everyday thing. You know, I, I think it's beyond Pride Month. I think being an ally in general is an everyday thing. So Amber, thank you so much for joining us and educating us about queer professionalism and creating a safe space for others to bring their authentic selves to work. We can all do our part by talking to our HR teams about affinity groups and other resources, and even just asking what someone's preferred pronouns are. You can also reach out to the National LGBT Hotline at 888-843-4564 or by visiting lgbthotline.com. If you want to win a 30-minute coaching session with Amber, write a review for next podcast within 30 days of this episode airing and email us a screenshot and we'll draw a winner from there. Until next time, be kind to yourself and be kind to each other. If you made it to the end of this episode, thank you and be sure to keep listening. Also, make sure you hit the like button and subscribe wherever you get your podcast so you can listen to the latest episodes of Next. And if you have a question, comment, or suggestion, or you just want to tell us how much you enjoy the show, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at nextpodcast at transperfect.com or visit nextpodcast.transperfect.com. 